This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? Happy Sunday to you. I guess Monday if you're getting this first thing on a Monday morning. But we welcome you back to the Coast to Coast podcast. We're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. All right. Hey, hey. Appreciate you being here. Coast to Coast Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell, your host. But you're not here for me. You're here for Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran, who joined me. Sherelle, how you living, dude? Pretty good. Uh, coming off a of Carolina successful week, so happy to talk about it. Yeah, it's easier to do these shows when the heels cooperate. Sean, how you living, man? Doing doing well and uh, looking forward to the, the next week in store on the road. Yeah, well, I know you, I know you just want to see UVA play basketball live, so um we'll see if we can't uh, entertain that as best we can guys as Sherelle alluded to uh good week for the Tar Heels they got two wins over Wake Forest at home on Wednesday night and then uh another win against Notre Dame at home on Saturday morning where they uh had some some French toast uh some tricks and then played a little game of basketball but uh, I want to start with some stats between those two games all right uh we have uh between the two games 11 block shots, 16 steals, and only 17 turnovers for the Tar Heels. They also had 23 assists on 61 field goals, which is not great, but it's better than it has been in points. But guys, specifically from those blocks and steals numbers, I feel like the Tar Heels are having their defense precipitate their offense. And I don't know that that's ever a bad thing. Cheryl, you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, Definitely never a bad thing. Uh, It's something that we talked about if you can play good defense and get stops, then that can fuel transition. And when you get in transition, I think everybody is a little happier because everybody's getting shots. The, there's a lot more movement. And then that, in turn, when you get in transition, refuels the defense. So it's all cyclical, um, especially for this group. I think they've seen it. Um, I, I do wonder the, the opponents probably have something to do with it as well. Yeah. I don't want to... Um, considering the variance that's been discussed for almost two years now with this particular group. I don't want to read it too much into um, any particular trends because of the two opponents. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but you know, Notre Dame and Wake Forest could be any more different than how they're going to um, be played against Virginia or how Virginia is going to play offense. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I, I do, to your point, it was a good week and it's good to see the defense actually do it. Um, and I think just being at home for those guys is, is really important considering how long in between they went, for, you know, with home games and everything. Uh, so successful week. And like you said, uh, good defense participates 
transition offense, which is really important for UNC. Yeah, I mean, I think they had two home games over a span of 44 days and then two back-to-back home games over a span of four days. So that home cooking certainly is is trying to get things back to a norm and let those guys get more into a, a bit of a routine. Sean, specifically one player I think that helps energize this defense and energize this team because he brings something different to the table. But it's nothing new to this podcast because you guys have been talking about this. You've been scouting him as Seth Tremble. Uh, when Seth Trimble's inserted into the game as Pete Nance is dealing with a back injury uh, against Wake Forest, he really brings just a different skill set to the table. And, uh, you know, you can use energy, you can use pep, you can use whatever you want to to talk about this team. They just seem to have a different feel about him when he's on the court. How do you feel like he makes this team better? I think he, he he definitely makes it better defensively. And, and offensively, he does, even though he's still kind of coming into coming into his own. I think we've seen the on-ball pressure, whether he's getting, you know, five minutes a game like he did in Pittsburgh or he's getting 15, 15 plus minutes. He's he's definitely going to bring that. You mentioned the blocks. Uh, he was responsible for four of those over the, the two games. And when they go to the three-guard lineup, it, it's a pretty s- small from a height-wise uh, lineup, but Given his his strength and athleticism, he has no problem switching onto the bigs. And and even when they, they try posting him up, he can contest those probably better than the majority of other, you know, fours or, or fives. So he brings that that switchability, uh, but also that tenacity on defense that can block shots, um, ignite the fast break. He is um he excels in in getting out in the fast break offensively and I guess uh Wake Forest, four for four offensively. Um, some cuts, some good finishes. Uh, didn't really have that against Notre Dame, and that's where I think he's still coming into his own. If if anybody listened to the podcast we did when we had Seth Trimble on it, um, this is probably close to two years now, a year and a half. Uh, we talked about what's his what's his go to move, and he didn't hesitate in saying getting to that twelve to fifteen foot pull up uh, off the left hand, and we really haven't seen seen that a lot and we haven't seen uh you know his ex- we've seen his explosion around the rim but we haven't seen any of these highlight dunks that we are accustomed to in high school so i think he's still trying to figure out offensively uh i think one particular possession when caleb passed it to him uh he was wide open and he he hesitated he got bailed out with the the foul call but he was still a little unsure of of i think what he wanted to do so as as he continues to get more comfortable offensively I think that will just add another threat, but he definitely has changed the game and has given UNC another um, strong option in terms of a lineup that Huber Davis should feel comfortable going to in the second half of games. I love that you mentioned his athleticism. We were talking with Brandon Robinson on Inside Carolina uh, live with Tommy Ashley prior to the Notre Dame game, and, and Brandon really praised his athleticism, his ability kind of to, to get off the floor. I, I firmly believe that at some point this season – um, young Mr. Trimble is going to catch a body when when folks least uh, least expect it. But uh, Sean, I want to stay here a little bit. It seems to me uh, like when Seth Trimble's out there, the rest of the team elevates their on ball defense a little bit better. Uh, it, it, do you feel like that's safe to say, or is that maybe me reaching a little bit? I think definitely against Notre Dame, I'd say that that was more after that first four minutes of going away from the defense they started started into just switching switching everything uh but i think in general people can see the tenacity that he's he's playing with and and you, you've seen rj and caleb 
pick it up um, as well. So I do think you see the tenacity he's playing with, and it has carried carried over. Uh, but one thing in the Notre Dame game, you know, they were getting picked apart those first four minutes in in pick and roll situations every every which way, and then they came out of that first TV timeout and started switching. And I thought it really simplified the scheme uh, for everybody in terms of okay, just just switch. You don't have to think too mm-hmm. much about you know a few steps down the road, uh, but also kind of help in their mind clarify what they what they needed to do. And with that, I know um, uh, we've we've picked on Caleb a lot defensively for his, his lapses. And when he gets involved in pick and rolls, it's, it can usually be a, a advantageous situation for the, the offense. But when he's playing on ball, the straight one on one, I think he's a can be a really good defender. And and I think we saw that in the Notre, Notre Dame game, even in the Wake Forest game, when he was just responsible for the man in front of him and i think he was able to to lock in same with same with rj um you could tell they were talking a lot more just in in general because there were situations where they switched uh but then they were trying to get armando back you know back to the big and that takes that takes talking on the court and and being locked in together so i did like that and and that's definitely something on tuesday uh that they're gonna have to be fully locked in with how uva runs their offense and then Last thing I'll say is is Armando. Uh, you can't really switch everybody if your big can't stay in front. And Notre Dame didn't have any crazy athletes, but I think it goes to Armando's credit that he's able to switch on whatever player and he, he moves his feet well enough that you're not going to be able to just ISO him and, and fully take mm-hmm. advantage of him. Yeah, Shrill, uh, I love what Sean said about talking about Caleb Love's uh, man defense because I do think he's shown his ability to to use his length uh, and be a bit rangy when he's he's playing straight up man especially when UNC is switching everything but we saw something this past week where you know for folks who just want to look at Caleb's scoring and just want to analyze that as you know the only facet of his game you did see you know two totally ends of the spectrum where he was shooting a lot against Wake and not making shots but then he started hitting some of those shots again against Notre Dame, which everyone is 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 comfortable and, and remembers seeing from him. I want to see if you might be able to elaborate a little bit, Shrell, on, on how Caleb has started to mature and allowing his defense to kind of trigger his offense or his defense to contribute to the team until his offense comes around. Um, I think it's a long time coming and something to your point that he's been working on. Sometimes it's a situation where his offense gets his defense going. And I think that's the easiest thing to do when you're when you're hitting shots, you're feeling good about yourself. Of course, you'd be more engaged on the defensive end. I think where the maturity comes in is trying to do the opposite. When you are struggling um, offensively and you're not making shots and you're feeling down about yourself, can you pull yourself together enough to to play, you know, solid to great defense? And I think on Wednesday night against Wake Forest, yeah, he was bad offensively. There's no one's going to dispute that. And there were times during that game that he was bad defensively as well. But he was able to get himself together to a point where he played some good defense uh, down the stretch, particularly once, uh, to Sean's point, once they went small, those final 14 minutes against Wake Forest. You know, you, th- you saw him play some some pretty good defense. He got, I think he got a steal or two, um, a couple of deflections, and was able to stay in front of his man. So uh, that that is a positive. But um, for Caleb, I, I think, again, it goes down. It comes down to um, how can you impact the game when your shot isn't going in? Because when you're as streaky as he is, you know, he was uh, in the first half. He had a pretty high percentage. I think he ended up six of sixteen 
which for Caleb Love, uh, you know, that's fine. You'll 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 take that and call it a day. Um, but he was again in passing lanes, bothering some of Notre Dame's guards, um, and and in general, just having a really good solid floor game. Uh, so if he can continue to do that when his shot's not going in, it bodes well for UNC. But again, um, I think Notre Dame was a really good matchup, particularly for the three point guard lineup. Yeah. Um, so I'm not quite as I don't want to say sold, maybe bullish is the right word. I, I'd need to see it against uh, a couple more different styles before, you know, I, I buy into it being maybe something they can move to on a, on a more permanent basis. Um, but for now, it's working and it ha- has helped Caleb, I think. It's helped Seth. It's definitely helped RJ. You can definitely tell it's helped Armando a lot. Um, you're really starting to see his ability uh, to control the game from the post. Uh, some of the passes he's able to make when he's double teamed, he just makes a lot of good decisions. There are a couple of poor ones, but a lot more good ones uh, than, than bad ones uh, these last two games. And kind of segues into, you know, UVA with how they double and everything. So, um, yeah, it was a good practice for UNC, I would say, for UVA. Hold on to that. We're going to get to the UVA stuff in a second. Um, I want to also bring something up. Is is somebody For somebody who is as scrutinized as Caleb Love is, I think Tar Heel fans have to appreciate – the fact that he's so quick to keep up for his teammates. We saw in the situation with um, what's uh, what's his nuts for uh, for Notre Dame, um, Ryan Cormac Ryan, uh, when he had that, you know, what I felt like was a, a pretty dirty play on on a uh, a Puff Johnson dunk. Um, first person to be by his side and kind of stand up for Puff Johnson was Caleb Love. Cheryl, I want to see if you might be able to tell us how does that help a locker room or what does that say to a team when you've got somebody who's that quick to stand up uh, for, for his brother in, in the same uniform? Oh, it means a lot. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if you've been following North Carolina basketball for a long time, you go all the way back to uh, 2008, uh, excuse me, 2009 in, in Tyler Hansborough's last game in the Smith Center when, you know, uh, his face is contacted by an elbow. Let's just put it that way. And I remember the discourse around the time was, well, why isn't, you, why aren't UNT's, why are his teammates getting up and getting in Gerald Henderson's face and what's going on? And, and that really bothered, I think, the fan base and a lot of people following the program. So Caleb Love has had an incident this year, too, where he was on the ground and kind of stepped over a slash kicked and everything. So I think that's part of it. But when you see your, your teammate uh, like Caleb, uh, you see someone who's got stature, who's done a lot of big things. I think it, it means a lot to someone like Puff. And I think it means a lot to the rest of the team because it, it does show that uh he's in the moment he's there yeah um his bags are unpacked Th- that's always a question uh that i think fans have with players like caleb who have talent who have nba aspirations is how much do you really care about this how much are you willing uh to do to to show that that you're here that you're unpacked and that to, for me that was one of those moments and because he didn't hesitate really honestly no, he, not at all it, it happened and he went and got in the guy's face you know now whether or not he should have maybe done it that way is another story. Uh, I'm not a big fan of like puffing up right. the chest and all that stuff, but right. the fact that it was on his mind to, you know, I've got to protect my teammate, I think is to your point, a good thing. And that it was instinctive, right? Like right. you said, it, it took no time at all for him to be right there at puff side saying, Hey, you're not going to do my boy like that. Um, so I think that's something positive for folks to look at, especially since people seem to want to kind of overanalyze Caleb love as, as a person, inside of this team. Uh, Sean, Sherelle touched on this a little bit, and, and I want to kind of use this to to lead into discussing UVA this week. 
Armando Baycott, uh, I think one of the times where he has struggled offensively is his lack of ability to recognize uh, when a double team's coming or where it's coming from. I think that at times when he's been able to, or when he hasn't been able to recognize that, the offense is kind of bogged down. But what we've seen specifically this year uh, is that not only is he recognizing when it's coming, he's recognizing where it's coming from, and he's shown a proclivity to be able to get the ball out uh, and, and help the offense move and keep the ball moving and help the offense, uh, I guess, kind of keep some tempo and some fluidity about it. How do you feel like he's improved in his game there? And how do you feel like that's going to speak, especially against a, a defense like the pack line defense that that UVA likes to employ? I think it's been a mixture of, of him improving as well as uh, UNC in, in general. And just going back a few weeks ago, it felt like he he was struggling. Um, you know, he it looked like he still wanted to attack the basket. He still wanted to find his shot. And when he was when the double team was coming, he was forced to retreat. And that few seconds gave the gave the defense their opportunity to relax. But then it was almost a shift where okay, he recognized it. He's ready to make the pass, and the other the opponent has kind of junked up, up the lane, yep. but but UNC wasn't in a proper, proper position to make make them pay. And we saw that very first possession. Uh, he found Caleb in the corner for the three, but uh, I think this is going to be instrumental with UVA. We know they're going to double the post. Uh, last year with Brady Manick, they're able to find some some quick hitters, and if you make quick decisions, you can. You can beat it, but the other thing in that first possession was was uh, Leaky attacking the the middle of the lane hard. So yeah. now somebody, and we've seen that, uh, you know, going back to Iowa State, that that happened for a basket, and we've seen that on occasion. But I still think the more we see that, the better, because now it makes Leaky a scoring threat given his his size, and it makes a defender have to step up and and recognize Leaky because he's usually the one they're they're um you know backing off of and now you have shooters on the perimeter even with Seth Trimble out there he's able to make quick decisions but now you just have um a better passing lane uh for for Armando whether he wants to hit Leaky as a cutter or now he has three options on the perimeter to choose from so I think uh it's been Armando's ability to make quicker decisions as well as uh UNC's ability to make them easier for him uh you know when the when the double team comes for folks that are unfamiliar with UVA's pack line defense uh, I think you may be able to see, and, and you hit it on it there a little bit, you may be able to see some of the vulnerabilities when you have a player like Leahy Black attacking specific spark, uh, specific parts of, of that defense. Where are the holes in the defense for uh, for North Carolina to attack when they're going against UVA this week? I mean, def- definitely in the when it does come to the, the double team, I know we used to see Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks, kind of that big-to-big, uh, quick pass uh, as you as you cut down the cut down the lane. I think it'll be interesting to see what lineups are utilized in that UVA game. But uh, you know that is that that big big to cutter uh, right down the lane. Sometimes they can be a second slow and you can get an easy layup. It's infrequent, uh, but you know if you can make that, it's really about making the second the, the first pass, but really the second pass. If you can make that quick, that's where UVA I think really struggles because they're fully dependent on teams not having that ability where they you know, pick and roll situations. They, they, um, you know, trap, trap the ball handler and they can, teams can make that first pass and, and UVA is great at stepping up, but they're, they're not great at making that second, second decision. And that allows teams to recover. So it's really 
going back to the just quick decision making, um, you know, the team itself, they're never really great individual defenders. Key Clark yeah. is is a very pesky on ball defender, but if you put those guys in one on one, I'd say they're average at best, but they're just great as a team. Um, yeah. and they're great helping off recovering and just making things difficult. So if you can get some easy baskets cutting uh, off the pass, but also if you can open it up uh, with, with a three point, three point game uh, last year it was Caleb love hit a few uh, big shots right before halftime at home, which opened it up a little bit uh, in the ACC tournament. It was probably UNC's might've been UNC's one of their worst offensive games uh, when they <laughs> held UVA to 42 and Brady Manick had one third of their point. So even that game, it was a blowout, but outside of Brady, UNC did really struggle. Uh, it's just, they didn't really need that much. So it's going to come to uh, their ability to take smart outside shots and be able yeah. to hit them. Uh, Cause the past two games they've hit, I think eight, eight, and nine. And that that's the number we always talk about out of if they can, can get to, and they've been able to do that at a good percentage. Cheryl, this UVA team is good. They've been as highly rated uh, as I think number two at one point this year. Um, they got three losses, but their three losses, I think, are, are to what may turn out to be really good teams in, uh, in Pitt, Miami, and Houston. Uh, Cheryl, what do you expect to see, or what are you looking forward to uh, against you know this tar or between the Tar Heel UVA match this week? I, I'm excited for Kihei Clark in his ninth year to play against R.J. Davis again. But what what are you specifically excited to see when the Tar Heels go to Charlottesville on Tuesday night? Yeah, I, I bet between uh, Clark and Leakey. This is this game has the two guys who have played the most games. Uh, Leakey just finishes, I think, 137th game at UNC. I think Clark is somewhere around there. So two guys who've almost played 300 games at their respect, you know, combined at their schools. Um, I I think whether or not Pete Nance plays is a big deal in this game uh, because Jalen Gardner, let's just say whoever UNC puts at the four, uh, Jalen Gardner is going to be a tough matchup for because yeah. he's a big, burly, strong guy. Um, that, that's a tough matchup for Leakey, despite Leakey's length. It'd be a tough matchup for Puff, despite Puff's length. Um, you would think that Nance being, you know, six ten, six eleven, uh, and a little bit taller than those two guys would make it tougher for for Gardner. So, uh, I, I'm very curious to see if he plays because if not, it's really going to test the limits of this three point guard lineup that they've played so much, especially when it comes to rebounding. Because, uh, you know, Armando's going to have his uh his hands full with with Shedrick. So, yeah. um, that's one thing to watch, and then. UVA has four guys uh, who've taken at least 44 threes who shoot better than UNC's highest percentage. So let me say that again. Four <laughs> guys. <laughs> four guys who shoot better than UNC's best shooter this year. Um, Beekman is up around 50% from three. Uh, so, and it's not like he's taken five or six. He's, he's on a pretty good volume. Um, so again, just like last game, I noticed there's an urge and, and a desire to kind of help um, off your guy, but what you should be doing is running guys out there off the three-point line. If you give up some layups, which they did against Notre Dame, Lisewski had a couple, uh, Starling had a couple. I think you can live with that. You'll but take you that. Don't want, yeah, but you don't want to live with wide open threes because um, you know Franklin drives and, and sucks in a defender, and you leave Bigman wide open. You, you just you, that can't happen. Um, so an aggressive man-to-man defense and. Maybe it's a situation where they did like they did Saturday, Sunday or excuse me Saturday, and they switch a lot uh, to kind of try to prevent you know some of those things. So those are the couple of things I'm I'm looking for. Um, in three of 
the five in three of UNC's five losses, they've been destroyed from the three point line. <laughs> I mean, so Alabama, they were negative twenty seven from the three point line. Iowa State, I think it was negative eighteen. And then um uh Virginia Tech, I think it was negative twelve. So in three of the five losses, they just haven't shot well and the other teams have gotten hot. So to me, it's it goes back to the three point line. To Sean's point, can Baycott uh and Puff, I think this is a big game for Puff too, because um, he's so smart and such a good passer. Um, can Baycott and Puff, uh, when they're in the game together, find open shooters, and then uh, can those open shooters knock it down? I don't mean to sound overly simple, but I, I think this, I think it's as simple as that. Well, and when you fold that into the fact that UVA does not want a lot of possessions, UVA wants to minimize the number of possessions for themselves and their opponents. So if they're getting less possessions, but they're getting more points per possession because they're hitting open threes, that's a great recipe for Tony Bennett's crew and a bad recipe for the Tar Heels on Tuesday night. That's usually um, why they're so high in Kimbomb too. Yep. You know, whether it's, or not they're whether or not they're actually good, that's always why they're so high in Kimbomb. The efficiency is there, and that's that's yeah. their recipe. Um, guys, I want to take a quick break. Uh, remind everybody, hey, listen, make sure if you are not subscribed to this podcast or to any of Inside Carolina's great podcasts, go ahead and take care of that. Uh, we would also appreciate it. I would appreciate it if you, that's right, you, the listener slash viewer right now, would take a second and rate and review us. Just lets us know if we're doing a great job. Um, better reviews also you know, mean better things for us as far as uh, being able to provide content and, and being able to just elevate our game for you guys and making sure that we're delivering what you expect from Inside Carolina and from Inside Carolina's you know, normal uh, high level of content. So we'd appreciate that. Take a quick break. Let the national guys pay some bills. We'll be right back on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, thanks for sticking around. Another edition of the Coast to Coast podcast here on Inside Carolina. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Hey, Sean, I got to ask you, uh, what did you get for Christmas? Got some Johnny T-shirt. Nah, see, listen, I'm supposed to be the one with the big aha moment to lead into the Johnny T-shirt read. But you, sir, kudos to you because you have absolutely beat me to the punch. Uh, I'm glad that you got some of that Johnny T-shirt goodness for Christmas because anybody who's listened to this show, knows the Johnny T-shirt is the place for UNC gear. Uh, whether you got good gear at Christmas or not, you can take care of that now. Go to Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Uh, they'll start getting spring stuff in very soon, believe it or not. Uh, if you did not get the warm coat with the Jumpman logo or the UNC logo, or you know maybe it's not from, from Jumpman, maybe it's from Cutter and Buck or Columbia or whomever, Johnny T-shirt can take care of you. Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get that extra. 10% off the top. There are already amazing prices 
visit Johnny T-Shirt online or go to their store right there on East Franklin Street. Patronize them because we appreciate what they do for us and all the support that they give to Inside Carolina. All right, Sean, aside from caring about what you got for Christmas, I understand as well that you had a chance to watch Mr. Drake Powell play some ball lately. And I want to hear what you took away from that because, again, since he's committed, we've talked about kind of what a Swiss Army knife he is and how he's kind of good at a lot of things but not really great at any one thing. Talk about his evolution and what you're seeing now versus what you saw from him six or nine months ago. Sure, and this stemmed from uh, Ben Sherman going to the game on on Tuesday, I believe, um, and and p- posting about Drake's performance. Luckily, was able to to find video of that game and 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 go through it. And to me, having seen him in person in, in early July and then seeing him now, obviously AU and high school are completely different and and different roles. Where in high school, somebody going to Carolina should be the go-to guy on their team. But I think what what I saw, you know, one he had five three-pointers. So that was an area of uh, improvement that we've continued to talk about. His shot form looks a lot, uh, not a lot better, but definitely a little little different um, in, in, in a good way. Uh, but offensively, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, um, really the first first step he has uh, was something that, that jumped out in terms of this, uh, you know, long, quick, he's able to attack. Obviously very bouncy. That's something we've we've discussed in the past, but going back to the five threes, it was catch and shoot. It, it was in, in a few different situations and watching that game and seeing his ability to score. So, so easily, uh, you know, we've talked about the wing position and needing a, a true wing score. And it was almost saying, Hey, I was questioning that ability from him, but that really jumped out to me as saying, Hey, you know, this Drake could actually be the guy that, that they're looking for in that, in that true, true wing. Uh, so more than just a jackknife, but a guy that can be a go-to scorer at times when you need. Uh, so looking forward to watching him play some more, but it was evident, you know, from some of the blocks he had, as well as some of the the drives, the athleticism that we know about, but also just looked like a completely different player than the one that I saw for CP3, where he was almost selfless to a fault. Um, you know, making good passes, but maybe overpassing and not really looking for a shot to a guy that was very confident in all aspects of his game. Well, it's again, that's going to be the type of thing that that our listeners and viewers are going to want to hear. Uh, local kid, kid that you know is top fifty ish around that top fifty mark for for his class. But I think folks are really going to be excited to see how he's matured, what he's adding to his game, and how he's continuing to improve. Uh, Sherelle, we did have. Uh, a visitor on campus in Chapel Hill this past weekend. Ian Jackson did make it to campus. Is there anything you'd like to add about that before we uh, before we get out of here today? Uh, not a ton. Uh, you know, we're still reaching out and everything and trying to get with him. Um, he left campus about 3 p.m. on Sunday. Okay. Uh, so he got there late, late Friday night. They had a game, had a very good game. Uh, I think he got her in around midnight on Friday and then stayed until um, Sunday at you know, around three, three thirty, something like that. Um, but yeah, a, a typical official visit got to do all those things. I think it was not important, but uh, there were a lot of there were some alums around this past weekend, so I think that was a good thing. Um, so we'll see what happens. You know, we've said for years that if North Carolina can get him on campus, then you know, stranger things have happened. You know, I, I still, from what we've been hearing, it's still unlikely that North Carolina eventually you know signs him or gets a commit from him, but. 
you know, it was unlikely with Walker Kessler. It was unlikely uh, with Brandon Wright back in the day. So these yeah. things do happen sometimes where uh, what it looks like going into the visit is changed once the visit is over. Um, so we'll see. Well, shoot or shoot. And Hubert Davis is certainly shooting his shot with uh, with Ian Jackson. Obviously, folks, if you're listening to this show, you know that uh, if there is any development around that commitment or that commitment around that recruitment, God, don't yeah. take that away. John. Recruitment, recruitment, <laughs> recruitment. That's a slip of the tongue by yours truly. There's nothing else there. Um, if there is uh, if, if there is any development around that recruitment, you know that we'll have it. Sherelle will be all over it. Uh, and Inside Carolina will post as things develop, if they develop. Um, but appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Sherelle? Uh, no, we. I will say we hope to have uh, Eric Brassi, um on here in the next few weeks because uh, yeah. he's going to see a lot of James Brown. He's going to see a lot of Elliot Cadeau, and he's also going to see Samuel Wilcher. Um, so it would be good to kind of get the national perspective on on where those guys are now that they're uh, all either UNC signees or commits. Um, and then uh, from an inside Carolina perspective, uh, Zayden High will be playing in North Carolina um, in a few weeks, so we, we hope to make it to that. Um, but it's going to probably get a little quiet with recruiting because, you know, they're done in 2023 and they're probably 75% done in, in 2024. So uh, we'll have to be a little creative in, in how we cover recruiting since UNC is uh, getting commitments so quickly and so early. Well, who knows? I mean, I always know that when Bossy's on the show that it's it's very well received and he brings a lot to the table. Um, who knows? We can we can get get a little creative and see what we can pull out of our, our hats a little bit later. Sean, anything you want to add before we wrap up today? Sure. I'll add the two pennies. I know I went one over last time. Uh, first one, RJ Davis, who we didn't really touch on, but just how well he has been playing, but especially yeah. this week, uh, 7 of 12 from 3, really offensively starting that second half against Wake Forest was really the guy that got UNC going, uh, kind of you know driving left with the with a pull-up, uh, but also him and, and Armando working together. He has a nine nine assists, one turnover over those two games. Uh, so he is at the, you know the that RJ level, the tournament RJ level uh, that everybody was was hoping for with with how he's been playing. And then uh, for UVA, just interested to see the the matchups. I know in the tournament they put Leaky on Kihi Clark and just completely took him out of the game. Uh, but UVA's two wings are a lot better than they were. Last year, as Sherelle mentioned, with Beekman and, and Franklin. So curious to see the matchups on on Tuesday and how those start out and if they change uh, once the game game flow begins. Yeah, I remember when Reese Beekman first started playing for UVA, and I he was such a minor contributor. It's hard for me to take him seriously now, but he absolutely is somebody to be reckoned with for that roster. And it'll be interesting to see how North Carolina, like you said, attacks uh, he or the other wing or how they how they defend those guys. Um, fellas, I always appreciate it. Appreciate what you guys bring to the show. I know our subscribers and our listeners appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys have a great week. Um, thanks to Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring the show. Thanks to John Siegley for producing the show. And thanks to everyone for listening and being a part of it. Uh, we will certainly be back very soon. But until then, for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, I'm Joey Powell. We will talk to you guys next time on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Late. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.